You're listening to the What's That Mean post-message podcast following Brad Franklin's message on August 5th and 6th, entitled Full of Empty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the last post-message podcast for this series, anyway. This is the last one? This is the last one for this series, oh, yes. Sean, we've exactly. missed you. I've been gone, yes. Yeah. Good to be back. Sean Did you have a good is... vacation? It was relaxing, uh, some of it, and uh, it was a staycation, so projects around the house uh, were not relaxing, but it's good. Well, that's good. Yes. Were they restorative? Uh, things are in more order now than they were before, let's put it that way, and that's a good thing. <laughs> that's, good. <laughs> that's good. Did you have to do your own laundry? Um, sometimes. Okay. We we split that deal in our house. So, oh, good. So all of my exercise stuff I throw in there on my own. This is way. This is TMI right now. Yeah. No. This is perfect. <laughs> We're gonna start this over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the real deal behind the scenes. This is the real Sean right the here. Sean, the real here Sean. First. <laughs> That's good. Well, this was a a, a great end uh, to the series. We've talked about. The three of us have talked about uh, this podcast, and I think it's been really helpful. If if you're listening right now, um, well, I guess <laughs> you're listening right now, if you hear my voice, um, then you might be uh, interested in knowing that just as many people have listened to our post-message podcasts uh, every week as do the actual message. So we, we think it's been something that's helpful, and we want to do it from time to time. So thanks for listening and participating. Uh, Brad, you want to start us off here? Sure. So we've spent the last two months talking about what it looks like to find meaning in life. How do we find meaning? It seems like so many people get stuck on being able to live a life of meaning. So we thought, let's do a series that leans into that and helps people figure out where, where do you look, what do you pursue, what kind of questions do you ask to be able to find meaning in your life. So and and so this weekend, this last weekend, we reviewed some of that some of that stuff. Actually, most of those things we talked about others, which is just crucial, I think, to figuring out what a life of meaning looks like. Uh, then we talked about generosity and grace, and we talked about beauty, goodness, and truth. And then we talked about how all those things point to and come from and are modeled by Jesus. And so this weekend, this weekend and last weekend, really, we're just focusing on who Jesus is. How did he live a life of meaning? And what kind of example does he give for us? What kind of a pattern does he give for us when we seek meaning in our own lives? So you, you taught from your favorite passage in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so the question in my mind is, how did that passage come to be your favorite passage? When did you know that? I, Philippians passages. Philippians 2. Yeah, 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 we're talking yeah. about Philippians 2. I don't know exactly where and when, how old I was, but I was sometime probably in high school or college when that one landed on me. Hmm. And I think the issue for me is I have had such a struggle with pride in my life, and later in, my, in these last few years, I've equated that also with perfectionism and uh, the arrogance that goes with perfectionism, the judgmental nature that comes with perfectionism. Hmm. And I think I, I knew what those were, I knew that was in my life as a younger person. I, I didn't have any idea of all the implications that came with that, but I knew that that was an issue. I knew it was a problem for me. I knew it was an area where uh, the enemy of Christ could get in and, and do damage 
in my life and through my life mm. from that. And so then I'm reading through the scriptures. When I was in high school, I started reading the scriptures because someone, you know, some spiritual mentor for me had said, this is what you need to do, read the Bible. I'm like, okay, I'll read the Bible. So I'm reading through the scriptures. And I, I remember being so enthralled by the words of scripture, mm. the poetic nature of it sometimes, the storytelling nature of it and power of it sometimes. Just I loved all that. Mm-hmm. And somehow, when I got to Philippians two, I realized, oh, that's the story that I need to tell in my own life. I need to tell. I need to tell my life that. Yeah. It's like, you know, Paul says to the whole church at Philippi, "I want you to have this attitude that was also in Christ Jesus." And I'm thinking, I need to tell myself to have the same attitude that was also in Christ Jesus. Right. That's that's how it started. But it was sometime maybe late high school or early college. Would you suggest for those that are out there listening, because I know that you've memorized a lot of scripture over the years and that's been life-changing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Philippians 1 to, is it 1 to 11? Does that, does that passage stop at 11 and then it transitions to another topic after that? Would that be a good place to start memorizing? Uh, it's, it's an excellent place. Even if you just took Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that's mm-hmm. where it really, it's almost like a song. And I don't know if anyone knows for sure if it was a song that right. Paul was drafting from or was it a like an early theological statement or an early like a doctrinal statement, a creed mm-hmm. that maybe they were using back then. Somehow this thing developed, but it was poetic in its nature. So even to take Philippians 2, 5 through 11, and learn that would be a, a great um, advantage. Right. This weekend, we added into that verses 1 through 4, which is more church-oriented and describing how do we live with one another in the church using Jesus' mindset as our, mm. as our model. Which is really, the, so, so then 1 through 4, we have a lot of practical stuff there. Because one of the things that you said, and this is interesting to me, you said even theologians don't really know what this means. When, Jesus, when, when Paul says, or if he's taking from an old hymn or a, or a doctrinal statement, when he writes uh, that Jesus emptied himself. Yeah. And so uh, what does that mean? And so I, I started thinking about that this week. Well, what does it mean for me to empty myself? I mean, if that's the attitude that we're to have, if that's the pattern that's laid down for us to follow Jesus in this, um, what does it look like for Jesus followers to empty themselves? You know, it may be that uh, there's another way to say that besides theologians are confused about it. I think theologians often complicate it Mm. because it, it comes from a Hebrew poetry style and parallelism is the is the highlight of Hebrew poetry. Mm-hmm. And so there's actually two phrases and, and in Hebrew poetry when it's in parallelism, one phrase is defined by or described by or enlightened by an, another phrase that's coming. So the first phrase in there is he emptied himself and we sort of get wrapped up into that because how can God empty himself? But mm-hmm. there's another phrase that enlightens that first phrase, and that is he humbled himself. Mm. So he emptied himself by humbling himself. Those mm. things go together. <laughs> yeah. So the best way for us to think, I, for me, the best way to think about emptying myself is to think, how do I humble myself? Mm. And how do I humble myself? I think the activity that, uh, the activity that leads toward humility and humbling myself is serving. It's serving others. It's finding someone who needs something that I could give my life to them for this period of time. Mm. I think that that's the process. That's what Jesus did. He came 
<clears throat> he started as God, and then he became a servant, and so that yes. it all ties into that hum, uh, humility or that process of humbling himself. Yes, Jesus uh, um, says about himself, I think it's in Matthew 20, the Son of Man, which is uh, a title for himself. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so there's these echoes of that in Paul's letter as well. Yeah. So Brad, this weekend you listed a couple of things that we could be involved in in serving in the community. And one of the things uh, that I heard you say, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is you said this is great for us to think outside of these walls, to serve in the community. This is different than serving here at church. We're not serving us, but we're serving outside. And the question that I had in that is, um, isn't serving here at Lakeside also serving us, our community, to to some degree? Absolutely, it is. You know, there are 2,000 people that gather at Lakeside on a given weekend. They all come from our community. So when we serve here at Lakeside or amongst Lakesiders, we're serving the community. When we're raising up children to be followers of Jesus, we're raising them up to be followers of Jesus in this community. So, yeah, I think we are serving the community when we serve one another here. And I think it's beautiful to serve one another here. My, my point and my focus in doing that was to make Jesus was so not self-oriented. And sometimes churches get into a bad cycle where we're, we become very self-focused, very self-oriented. And so I thought just to make a contrast to that, because we often ask people to serve in various ways at Lakeside. Sure. I thought to make a contrast for that and to make it, to make it really clearly others-oriented, let's, let's talk about some serving opportunities that are not directly benefiting Lakeside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's Lake Siders. Yeah, that's good. That's a good distinction. Uh, what, what, you guys? What are some practical ways then, outside of things that uh, you mentioned? Some valiant things with Community Serve Day. Um, I'm trying to think of what else you. Oh, the the break free the run. Break free run. Yes. Um, okay, so outside of those, uh, it, which are clearly great areas to serve in our community, what are some practical ways that we can serve people? out and about in Folsom and the surrounding communities um, that that don't necessarily look like joining something that's organized, like an organized effort. Um, what are practical ways that we serve our neighbor, our neighborhood, our city, our, um, you know, our chamber, whatever, whatever the case is? Um, do you guys have any routines that you're involved in or things you toy around with? I have some routines. They're mostly they're mostly organized, and so outside of Lakeside, being involved in youth sports, and uh, sometimes on a given week that might be fifteen hours, it might be thirty hours, depending on how many games we have that week. So people that are involved in youth sports know that it ebbs and flows. Um, but I, I had this experience um, uh, where our fence was blown over in a storm. Hmm. And it, it, it uh, you know, everybody knows, okay, you got a fence, now you got your neighbor, you got to talk to your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem is, is, is the house next to us, nobody was living there. And so the, 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 it's a rental and people were trying to rent it. And so uh, an older guy showed up at our door and, or called us or something and said, hey, can we, uh, can we do this fence together? And he was uh, helping the owners of the house who were trying to rent it out, repair this fence. So I got together 
over a period of three days with this gentleman uh, who was probably in his mid to late 60s and just a fascinating guy. And we worked side by side together, uh, digging new fence post holes and going to Home Depot and hearing each other's stories. And uh, we were we were essentially serving one another. But at the end of the day, um, uh, not at the end of a given day, but at the end of the process, uh, I remember hearing back from this guy because I couldn't be there when the final boards were put on. And so he ended up doing more work than I did. Hmm. And he sent us a receipt for the money that we spent, and it was just split 50-50, even though he did more of the work. And, uh, of course, he was the expert, too. I was following his, his, every, uh, his every direction. But I thought, I just got served mm-hmm. by my neighbor, and um, we were there serving each other, but I felt blessed by this guy. So that, that was a beautiful thing. When things happen in our neighborhoods, to come out of our, our doors, to come out of our garages, and engage the people in our neighborhood. Yeah. I think it's important. I thought it was fun that you, you and I, Sean, were sitting on my front porch a few days ago and our neighbors came over late at night to yeah. talk. And I just, I love that. I love being in a community where you actually talk to the people you live with. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great concept just to come out of your house to, to be with your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Somebody, we've been working on our, I've been working on our front yard, trying to get our front yard fixed back up and make it look good. And my whole goal has been to make it inviting to our neighbors. Mm. And somebody, over the weekend, people were commenting because they saw me, I, fos- I, po- I, posted, I posted a picture on Facebook of my yard, my new patio, and people were coming up to me and saying, hey, we love your backyard, we love your backyard. And <laughs> I told several of them, no, that's actually my front yard, and I built it in the front yard because I want to be out with my neighbors. I want my neighbors to walk by and stop and you know, have a chat with us when we're sitting on the porch swing or when we have a fire going out there, that kind of thing. I want, to, I want to be with them instead of just hiding in the back, which is what we do often in the suburbs. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I do th- think that there are times throughout the year where there's things that force us to come out of our doors. You know, Halloween, that's a good example. Sure. No matter what you feel about Halloween, it's one time during the year where everybody is out of their house. And it's a great time to engage your neighbors. Another one is is during the Christmas holiday, at least in Folsom, if you live in Folsom, uh, Santa Claus comes around, mm-hmm. you know, and you step out of your house and there's 50 of your neighbors right there. What, okay. what an opportunity to say hi and just make a make a small connection. Yeah, that's super fun. Uh, Tawny, my wife, planted, uh, I mean, she's our gardener, and we are on an alley and the, the fence that's on our alley, she planted tomatoes on the outside, so they're actually in the alley. And I was like, you know people are going to pick those tomatoes. And she said, exactly. And I thought, mm. how fun that my wife had that in mind. And there's uh, there's a few dudes that walk up and down our alley often, and they'll, they'll pick tomatoes, and they'll stand there and talk to us. And one of them we found out is a chef. And so he's mm. actually taken some of the tomatoes uh, to use in some of uh, in the restaurant that he works at here in Folsom, which is really mm-hmm. cool. But I love that um, I love that my wife has that mindset that she's going to actually create scenarios that invite conversation um, and 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 invite service yeah. of others. I think that's that's super yeah. cool. 
Well, good. Um, I have another question for you, Brad. You, you talked about connecting with Jesus. You said, um, I'll try to quote you, when you connect with Jesus, you begin to be full, uh, full of meaning, full of significance, full of grace, full of truth. Um, can you clarify a bit what you mean by connect with Jesus? Yeah, good question. There's a lot of words we use to describe a, a life of faith. So, and there's a, there's a lot of words that we can really use to describe the beginning of a life of faith. So, when I was growing up in my own faith journey, we talked a lot about receiving Christ. Someone has to receive Christ. And we just talked about John chapter 1 last weekend where it talked about, you know, Jesus came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So that term, you know, has really gotten into our psyche as a as a group of churches, not just our church, but the kind of the church in America, like like would say, when did you receive Christ? Like, okay, that's what they're talking about when they say, I, I've begun this journey of following Jesus. So following Jesus is another way to say, I have a connection with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I could I could be talking about it from that um, perspective. And that's an ongoing thing. There's a, there's a place where we begin. I think everybody has to begin with Jesus somewhere. You don't, you don't get, you're not born a follower of Jesus. Your parents may be followers of Jesus and they may influence you a lot toward him. But sooner or later, you have to decide, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm not. And again, we may call that receiving Christ or being born again or something like that. But then there's this ongoing process of being connected to him or an ongoing process of following him. Mm-hmm. And that's where I that's where I put my energy these days is into the is into the question of how do I follow him most effectively? How do I follow him better? Mm-hmm. And that and so that builds a connection. So part of my connection with Jesus, when I talk about being connected to Jesus, part of that is through the spiritual disciplines, for, for example, of Scripture. We talked about how I like to memorize Scripture. I think that connects me to Jesus. Prayer connects me to Jesus. So the spiritual disciplines help me in that. But then there's also the side of obedience where I know that Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor. And I know he said, I want you to love your enemy. And neither one of those is, is always easy. When Jesus, In fact, when Jesus defines neighbor, he often looks like your enemy. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's about who you can be a neighbor to, not who your neighbor is. So those things of being obedient to Jesus, I think that's part of being connected to him and, and following him. So it's this, it's surrender, but then it's tiny surrender after tiny surrender over and over every sure. single day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. You know, one of the things that has been on my mind lately where I think this ties in is this um, reputation that the church, at least in the Western culture in America, Uh, has in some segments of our society and that reputation isn't isn't so good and so on the one hand we talk about loving our neighbor loving our enemy and loving the one who is least likely at least in our minds maybe to be our neighbor Um, and so I think maybe idealistically I think well if that's what we're supposed to be doing and that's what we're all about why don't we have a better reputation in the culture at large and does the culture at large see followers of Jesus doing that in action and how can how can we 
change that tide? Do, do we even worry about the reputation of the church? Or do we, do we kind of let that go and just do our best individually to, to love our neighbor and love our enemy? And so it sounds like that's, well, if we love our neighbor and love our enemy, that's going to change things. Um, so are we not doing that super well? <laughs> I mean, not, not us necessarily as individuals, but collectively as, as the church in our country these days. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I mean, I love, I love the bride of Christ as he right his church he calls us the bride of christ and it's it's interesting as if there's not enough chaos in the world around us because we're human um, when we all gather together it seems like we find so many things to fight about amongst ourselves that sometimes it seems like the world outside of the church gets our leftovers Hmm. um, because we're so preoccupied with with our own stuff Hmm. Um, which sometimes over the years has given me a love-hate relationship with the Bride of Christ. And that's something I've had to really work on because I don't want to live a life that where I'm completely deconstructing everything about the church all the time. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of voices doing that in the world. I don't, I don't want to be one of those voices. I want to talk about the beautiful things that happen within the church. Um, celebrate those things. And give us the energy then to go, you know, pour it out for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think some. I think so often, and you. I don't want to pin this on other people and other churches out there, but so often, we're we as a church seem like we are sitting in the place where Jesus was in Philippians chapter two. Mm where he existed in the form of God, and one of the prerogatives of God is he gets to judge. He gets to say, this is right and this is wrong. Sometimes we as the church get in a spot where we go, well, we're, we're, the, ones, we're, we're the ones who get to say what's right and wrong. We tell, we tell the world, you're doing, you're doing it all wrong. Hmm. When Jesus was uh, critical of people when he was walking the earth, he was critical of religious leaders who were making it hard on other people hmm. to come to God. He, he just was hard on them for that. And mm-hmm. yet we find our, I, I find us as a church, I find the church sometimes leaning into that place of being the ones who say, you're, you're not doing it right, you're not doing it right, you're not doing it right. But it's always pointed out toward the world. So we sort of, we're mm-hmm. judging our enemies or we're judging people that are different from us as opposed to loving them and reaching out to them. Right. And that, I think that's the whole process of humbling ourselves again and emptying ourselves again. And it's not, it's not an easy path to figure out how do we love someone mm-hmm. who we believe is on a destructive path or who is antagonistic. How do you love someone who's antagonistic to you and to your faith? Uh, the way you live out your faith, how do you love them anyway? Mm-hmm. That's, it takes a lot of emptying to figure out even how to go about that. Yeah, yeah it really does. Well, it's interesting that the religious leaders that we are familiar with in the scriptures, known as the Pharisees and the Sadducees too, but, but it seems like Jesus mostly focuses on these guys called the Pharisees. And, um, you know, I, I think that on the one hand, you know, you read through the scriptures and you go, good job, Jesus, call them out. You know, they, they made things legalistic. They made things more difficult. Jesus calls them hypocrites. He had some really harsh things to say. 
And I think as leaders, uh, we need to listen to those things and go, where is Jesus talking to me? And then on the other side of that, um, uh, we also know about the Pharisees that they longed for this thing called the kingdom of God to come. And they had a belief in that. They had a belief that um, someone would show up, and, and in, in, in their word it was the Messiah would show up and set everything right. Israel is not the, the superpower. In fact, it, Israel is almost never the superpower in its history. It's almost always the little power who's being walked on, almost always. So from that vantage point, you have these leaders, and they long to be liberated. They long to be free. And they've spent time memorizing the scriptures, as we've talked about. They've spent time in those uh, spiritual rhythms. And so the actions that they're taking feel to them like we're doing the things that we need to do to be liberated and to be set free and to make, to make the world a better place. And yet they're doing the exact opposite of what is really helpful. How do we avoid that same trap? Not to completely deconstruct everything. We stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us. You know, the writer of Hebrews says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We need that cloud of witnesses. We need that great tradition of Christ followers. At the same time, the church in every age and in every stage seems to do, need to do some self-reflection. And we as leaders need to do that self-reflection. And so how do we avoid the same pitfall? Because I think we can be overly hard on the Pharisees and say, they're just a bunch of jerks. Um, and I think in some ways maybe they were, but I think in some ways, <laughs> they just wanted the world to be better. Same thing we want, mm -hmm. you know. Um, what's, what's the what's the secret sauce in that? How do, how do we avoid being pharisaical, uh, even though we want the world to be a better place, and um, I don't know, maybe trust more, trust in the power of God more, trust in the power of the living Spirit of God more, and so that the Bride of Christ can flourish in the world as it is today. Yeah, I think listening more to the people around us may help. Mm. I think listening is a big aspect of humbling ourselves and emptying ourselves mm. like like for a moment to empty ourselves of our opinion mm -hmm. to empty ourselves of our position mm. and then just to listen to somebody mm. yeah. i just read i just read a post by a friend of mine who was kind of call, it was kind of funny cuz it was calling out white men who are starting a blog it's like why don't you just, why don't you Put your blog aside and get next to someone who's been oppressed by others, whether it's women or whether it's people of other ethnic backgrounds or whatever, and listen to them and encourage them to have a blog so you can listen to them and get their perspective. Hmm. And I don't know if everything that was said in, in this post was completely helpful because uh, I don't want to put down I don't want to put down any group, but to be able to raise somebody else up and listen to them, mm -hmm. that is a big key in mm. not being condemning of them. Yeah. When we went through Alpha, the Alpha course this last year, uh, or a few months ago, uh, one of the things that was highlighted for us as we were having these conversations about Jesus and Alpha, uh, we promoted as, you know, talking about the big questions of life. One of the things that was became very apparent to us uh, is that we need to have more talks with our people 
uh, here with our friends, our family at Lakeside, about how to have conversations with people, about how to listen to people, about how to talk about Jesus. So that's one of the things that we're working on right now is putting something together, too. In the mm-hmm. next few months, mm-hmm. uh, the church will hear us talk about... Um, uh, we'll, we'll set aside a couple of days and we'll, we'll dedicate it uh, in kind of a seminar format on how to have conversations. And, and listening is, is a huge part of how to have a conversation. Mm. Well, thanks, guys. This, uh, this series has been a lot of fun. It's been uh, fantastic. Looking forward to the next series. Sean, you are starting a three-week series uh, yes. in the book of Ruth. Yes, one of the greatest stories ever told. That's good. So what advice do you have for everybody to round this thing out today uh, as we look forward? Yeah. Well, if you're going to be here over the next three weeks, and I hope you will be, read read Ruth. It's four chapters long. It's really, really short. It's strange. Uh, in chapter three, you have one of the weirdest scenes in all of the scriptures. And we'll deal with that in week three of the series. Uh, but come ready to engage. The, the title of the series is When Your Life is in Chaos, dot, dot, dot. And so we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about a little bit of chaos, uh, both in our own lives and in our country today, and how we as Jesus followers can respond to that. It's good. Yeah, it's going to be great. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening. This has been a lot of fun. We'll do this again sometime. But adios for now. Hasta la bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening today. We hope you had a good time. We hope you find it helpful. You can listen to the entire message from the weekend and watch it on video if you'd like by going to lakesidechurch.com, clicking on Menu, and then Media. Peace.